back, our online audience. I have no idea if you're back, but I'm going to hope that you, you sure are. So welcome back. Um, well, one thing, Nate and Crystal have been married um, 13 years, but um, Jen and I, my wife and I have been married about 25. It'll be 25 in May. One of the things I learned early on as we were getting to know each other a little bit is that sometimes our love languages were different. Anyone ever experienced that as they're learning to... Um, you know, find their way with their early marriage. And one of the things that I learned is that I liked um, to do certain activities on date nights that I didn't, didn't always find a home with Jen, first of all. And that was, that was fine. So I remember early on in Dallas when we moved there, just a year into our marriage, we'd have date nights every Friday night, kept that through graduate school, and that was a really good thing for us. Uh, but sometimes I'd be like, hey, why don't we, you want to watch a movie tonight, or you, would you rather do something else? And, and almost inevitably, it was like, well, I'm, I'm fine to do something else. You want to go play racquetball? Because we had a, through the school, we had a, a, basically a free membership at the club, or we can go for a walk on the trail. I'm like, okay, that's fine, we can go do that. And you know, over time, I began to learn that Jen doesn't like watching movies, and it's too slow for her. Like, the, the pace is too slow. Now, what I began to learn over time is that, you know what I like? I didn't really want to watch a movie with Jen. You know what I wanted? I wanted a moment, an extended moment, to sit there, hold her hand, be with her, get carried away in the highs and lows of the movie, to experience the joy and the pain and the redemption of the movie. That's what I wanted. But that's not what I said, right? But that's what I wanted. And as I look back on some of these times, I realize this. I'm going to put it this way. Maybe you can resonate with this. Maybe you can't. But sometimes we don't get what we need because we're not honest with what we want. Sometimes we don't get what we need because we're not honest with what we want. Sometimes we don't know what we want, so we don't even know how to be honest with it. But sometimes in any relationship, in any work, in any um, school environment, sometimes we don't get what we need because we don't actually verbalize what we want. And the reason this matters is because in this series on prayer, I am afraid that some Christians have fallen into a disease that I'm going to call um, should pray like this-ism. There's probably a better way. Maybe you can come up with a word for it. But some of us have come to believe that there are some things in some ways that we should pray. In other words, there's things that are going on in your heart and your mind that you're not sure you feel comfortable talking to God about. In fact, God can almost become the person you speak to about a future ideal hope, but the real you is never represented in prayer. Some of your prayers may be like inviting God to draw you to a future self. You want to be more faithful. You want to have a better attitude. You want to not hurt people in the moment. That can be helpful. You want to be more godly. You want to be whatever in the future. But right now, right now, you're not that future person. Right now, you're angry. Right now, you're quiet. You're confused. You're hurt. You're unsure. But sometimes we don't know how to talk to God in that way. And we don't get sometimes what we need because we're not honest sometimes with what we want. I want to go into Jesus' prayer that he offered the disciples to pray this morning with you. We were in this series, I think this is the third part of this six-part series, and I'm in Matthew chapter 6. If you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. Um, it's a, the first book in the New Testament. If you have your phone or what have you with you, you can flip it open and um, flip it open like you have flip phones anymore. That was kind of funny. You can open it up, find version app or whatever you have, and, uh, and find Matthew chapter 6. It's the first book in the New Testament. Um, right two-thirds of your Bible. Matthew chapter 6 is where we are, and we're gonna, I'm going to read the, what we call the Lord's Prayer, but I'm going to focus on one particular verse this morning. 
Um, and I hope that it can be helpful for us as we think about what we need and what we want as they kind of come together. Verse 9 of Matthew chapter 6. This then, Jesus says, is how you should pray. A section that many of you have heard before. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The focus this morning is on verse 11. This is really all I'm going to be talking about this morning because we talked about the early part in the last two weeks, and I will get into the next in the coming weeks. Verse 11, Jesus puts it this way as a part of this prayer, give us today our daily bread. It's a really simple idea, and it's one that, um, it, it's so simple, in fact, that you could teach on it in a matter of, let's say, 30 seconds and feel like we understand it. And give us. Let's just look at the words for a minute. Give us. Your position of saying, God, I'm not the one in control. You are. I'm asking you to give me something. You're active. I'm passive. You're the giver. I'm receiving. I'm in a position of humility, asking you to give us corporately something. We need to give us our, our daily bread, the things that we need to sustain life today. It's not a future vision of what could be. It's a very simple, humble prayer of just what I need to get through the day not praying for excess, not even more than we need. And sometimes that can be an incredibly refreshing message in the middle of the world in which we live to say, I want to learn to be content with the things that I need just for today. This is a summer, summary of give us today, just today, our daily bread. Now that sounds really good, right? I mean, that, that's hard to argue. My only question, and I like to ask honest questions of the text when I read it, I don't believe that I don't know anyone, I don't personally know anyone who's actually content with that. Anyone. Honest question. I like to ask honest questions in the text, as honest as I can be. Honest question number one, that is this. What is daily bread in today's North American culture? What is it in today's North American culture? When Jesus was speaking this, 90%, we, we believe, about 90% of the people hearing this live hand to mouth. That's all they have. They have food in my hand, I'm going to eat it. I'm not sure where the next one is coming from, but I'm, I'm sure I'll find it somewhere. Not about 90% of people live there. Gertrude was a missionary in Haiti. Here's what she had to say. She said, American Christians have everything they need. She continued, if they don't pray or read their Bible for weeks, it makes a little difference in their daily lives. They still have food to eat, a place to sleep, and regular income. They don't need to practice their faith every day. I mean, think about this. Can you actually imagine for a minute if you didn't know where lunch was coming from right now? Would you actually be sitting here listening to me? I will tell you, I would not be here standing here talking to you if I didn't know where lunch was coming from. Because that's a higher need for me than just talking to you. If I really don't know what's coming next, I need to, and you need to, survive. What does this actually look like in a place, in a world, where we have all kinds of things, right? We have all kinds of stuff. I've got not just one refrigerator, I've got an extra one, or freezer, right? Does anyone have an extra freezer? Not just one, I got an extra one. I have a pantry full of food, written full of food. Now, I have teenagers in the house, so some of them eat a lot, some don't, but I, I have all this, kind of, I have, I have Amazon. Anyone wants to have Amazon? Right, and I can get something shipped to my house within two days. We have a Costco membership. I can buy food for a whole nation at Costco, right? You know what I'm saying? So give us today, I mean, come on, for real. Give us today our daily bread. I don't live that way. Come on. Do you? Now, 
Honest question number two. Not just what's this mean in today's culture, but how do I, and how do we distinguish, I'll put it this way, daily bread from dessert? How do I know when we have enough? I read one commentator's like, hey, this principle is simple, just don't pray for excess. I'm like, well, that's really cool and simple. Can you tell me what excess is? Because, come on, I mean, even looking out in this audience and those online and across our country, come on, there are people who live in poverty, people who live in middle class, and people who live in upper class. And there are Christians at every class, economic class that we have. And so those in poverty view finances very day to day. Those in middle class view finances in terms of our lifetime, what the future will be often planning for retirement. Those in upper class view finances as what the generational wealth will be, establishing trust funds for the next generation. So if I'm in each one of those generations, I'm going to have to ask the question, what is my daily bread? If I'm hanging out with people in middle class, it will seem very daily to me to have up to three, six months of income saved for a rainy day. In fact, it seems godly to you, doesn't it? If you're in poverty, you're like, you have what? You have how much saved up? Really? Like, I don't know if I can make rent this month. And their daily bread is very different. If you're in upper class, you're like, you only have three to six months of what? How can you live that way? There must be such anxiety for you to live that way. How do I distinguish for real daily bread from dessert? For many of us, we think that having a car, for example, is daily bread. Isn't it? Does anyone have a right to a vehicle? Personal vehicle that we can take where we want. How about a, a phone? Or about a home? Is that a right? Is that a daily bread issue? Is that excess? Is it not? You know, how about vacations? It's summertime, right? You guys like to take vacations? I think one of the things I've come to learn is that I'm okay with your vacation as long as the budget isn't bigger and the time longer than mine. And if it is, then I begin to get jealous of what that vacation talked to someone this week who was taking a long European uh, trip, and I'm like, well, good for you, inside of my, really? Like, how are you going to get to go do that? I'm like, how do I pray? Like, give us today our daily bread. You know, Jen and I joke about going to Bora Bora. Have you ever seen those um, pictures of Bora Bora? You have overwater bungalows. It's like, I don't know, Garden of Eden over water. I don't know what it is, right? And we joke about that because we saw it a long time ago. We're like, well, that would be fun sometime to do that. Well, we have zero plans, actually, to do that. We have no Bora Bora account that we're trying to save for. But let me ask you the question. Is it wrong for me to pray, God, sometime I'd like to go to Bora How do I distinguish daily bread from dessert? Is that excess? I mean, come on, what does this actually mean? If I push on this a little bit and say, what does this mean? Because all of us have more than we need sitting in this room. We certainly have more than what I need today. What does this actually mean to say, God, I want to pray today, give me my daily bread, because I don't live, I don't live that way for much of my life, at least I don't think I do, unless it means something else. But I want to get a picture of First of all, I need to get a bigger view of how God sees the world, a bigger theology of prayer and a theology of who God is and what he sees. The way I see it is that God, throughout the scriptures, casts great vision not just for today, but for the future, for future generations, upon generation, upon generation. Nation-changing vision God creates. I think of Joshua. I'm going to read a section from Joshua chapter 1 just to get some perspective here. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1 reads this way. After the death of Moses, a servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. So we have an entire nation of Israel gathered around the, the, 
bank of the Jordan about to move forward. Think about what God's about to give them in the context of what Jesus says about daily bread. God goes on. He says, I will give you every place you set your foot. These are future tense verbs, planning for the future. As I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the West. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life, not just today, but in the future. All the future days of your life, he's saying, I'm going to protect you. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Whatever your vision and version of success is, I want you to be successful wherever your feet take you. So when I look at this, I think of, well, if God is a God whose vision is grand, it is nation and generation changing, when Jesus says, give us today our daily bread, if all I think of is that I can be content with getting my daily rations, I think we've missed a broader picture. What does it actually mean to get daily bread? Here are my thoughts. You get to make up your thoughts. Well, hopefully we're not all making it up, but here's where I'm going with it, okay? Here's what I've come to believe over time. Some of this is just my experience. Some of this is where I'm walking. Some of this is what I've seen and heard, all right? Here's what I think. What does daily bread mean? I, I believe, first of all, this, that you need to pray where you are today and not where you wish to be tomorrow. This is where I start with it. I, I want to encourage you to pray where you are today and not where you wish to be tomorrow. Let me flesh that out and nuance that in two ways. That means this. This means being honest, first of all, with pain. Many of us will pray through pain to a future version of ourselves, but not really embrace our current version of ourselves. You've heard this said before, that there's an ideal self and a real self, and often we will project an ideal self onto one another because this is where we want to be. I want you to listen for a minute. This is a, a prayer I wrote to try to give some example and flesh on the bones to this. As, uh, because I've heard in conversation, let me pause this, I've heard in conversation from many people that the past couple of years has been difficult relationally. Many of us have lost friends. Um, the relational deck has been shuffled, uh, if you will. It's been hard. It's been hard to see. We wonder why, what's going on, how this works. So as I think about that moment, just take that for a minute. What does it look like to pray through that reality? That I think everybody in the room has shared that to some degree or another. All of us have. We're in this one together. What does it look like? And here's a prayer that, in my opinion, sounds spiritual, but I think deflects pain. Here we go. Dear God, you know I'm hurting over the loss of my friends right now. I don't understand why so many relational changes have happened in my life. Please keep my heart focused on your care for me during this time. Please remind me today that you're in control. Please renew in me the joy of your salvation and carry me through this season. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. That may not sound bad to you. In fact, they may sound fairly godly. Like, okay, I'm recognizing that I've lost some friends, but I want you to keep my heart focused on you. I want you to remind me that you're in control. Let me read you another option. Another prayer for healing. Dear God, it starts the same way. You know I'm hurting over the loss of friends right now. I don't understand why so many relational changes have happened in my life. Identical. Here's where it changes. I feel betrayed and confused. I don't know how to make sense of this. I feel like sometimes you don't listen, and I wonder some days if you even hear me. 
The silence is deafening. I pray that you would meet me here in my pain and hurt, and I pray that you would help me not hurt others in the midst of my pain. I know in my head that you're in control, but if I'm honest, my heart struggles to believe. Please give me today my daily bread. You feel the difference between the two? I want to encourage you to pray where you are, not where you wish to be. Not that we can't have vision of what can be, but to embrace the pain of the moment where you are, that there's a daily breadness to that reality. What a gift it is to be seen where you are, not where others think you should be. What a gift it is to talk and listen to people who will sit with you and say, for real, how's it going? Take the ideal off to the side, let's talk real for a minute. I want to encourage you, this means being honest with pain. It also means, I would say, this means being honest with ambition. Being honest with ambition. This one often doesn't fit with the daily bread reality, but I think it's right here. It's this idea that some of you, I'll put it this way, some of you are incredibly gifted leaders who can grow a business to a multi-million dollar corporation. Is it right for you to pray that your bottom line would increase by another million or two, 50, 100? Or is that excess? Is that dessert? Is that ambition unbridled? Does that release your selfish heart into the world? Or do you need to be more tame in your prayers? Some of you are incredible, incredible um, leaders in the area of hospitality, of family dynamics, of friendship. Your ability to connect with people is stronger than most in the room. How far should we pray that God would use us in this way? What is, where does unbridled ambition meet this prayer for daily bread? Because I want to encourage you to be courageous in your prayer for ambition. If you want it, I want to encourage you to pray for it. And in the praying, this is, this is not unchecked, and in the praying, some of your prayers will be petition and some of your prayers will be confession. Some of your prayers will be, God, I have a desire to grow this company. I have a desire to lead. Some of you young adults, all right, you're incredibly gifted young adults. Your future may be to lead, to lead a a multinational nonprofit, to lead a national corporation. You may have the ability to lead hundreds or thousands and thousands of people and influence people. I want to encourage you, that may be part of your daily bread. And in that, you may provide daily bread for hundreds, if not thousands more people. Being honest with ambition, being incredibly honest, because it does no good for you or for God for you to have something in your mind and heart over here, but hide it and go tell him something else. Now, let me check it this way. Let me check it this way. If, you, if I'm asking you to be honest, I'm also asking you to be courageous. And this is what I also believe, that honest courage should not displace honest humility. When I want to encourage you to pray for the things that you really want, things that you really need, be honest with that. I want to encourage you to reflect the spirit of the prayer that Jesus offers. He says, give us today our daily bread. Those opening two words are super important to me. That's a position of God, you're in charge and I'm not. And so as you pray with ambition, honest courage, to pray for what could be, to be strong and courageous like God encouraged Joshua to be, to take the land, if you will, to move forward, to lead, to serve, to have vision, to have strength, to have structure, to have people, to move forward, that honest courage should not displace an honest humility. 
that says, God, I still am asking you, give me, give me. You're in charge. I'm not. I need from you. Because some of your prayer for ambition, and C.S. Lewis talks about this in one of his books, which I can share with you if you want to read it, that some of our prayers for ambition are prayers of petition and some are prayers of confession. Because sometimes my selfish heart and sometimes yours gets off track. Not every ambition is godly. Not every desire for growth is right. Sometimes, yes, my, my selfish heart comes unhitched and I just want more for me. And often I don't know when it is, but not always, not always. And so, yes, is it dangerous? Sure. Is that part of what faith is? Yes. To pray with an ambition of what God can do. Honest humility in that process, I think, helps. Thirdly is this. I believe we need to think clearly about why some prayers are not answered. Um, this is a challenge for all of us. I think any time that a relationship ends, that someone's life ends, that a dream dies, it's an it, exhibit A of unanswered prayer. And things just didn't work out. And all of us have prayers that, that weren't answered. Why is that? And some will say, you just need to have more faith in prayer. And I get where they get that from. Because here's what Jesus said in Mark chapter 11, verses 23 and 24. Jesus put it this way. He says, truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. It's pretty straightforward. That's pretty strong. I mean, that, <laughs> Jesus doesn't leave a lot of options there. He puts it out there. And I'm not interested in watering Jesus' words down, but I am interested in putting them in context and maybe understanding them a bit more. I'll just say this in short summary. I think we need to be careful when we talk about what faith is in this space. Faith does not come as a result even of an environment like this. We can control this environment. We can dim the lights. We can raise the music a little bit. I can speak in hushed tones. We can run some good videos. We can create sometimes some emotional responses to things that get you up or down, and we can move crowds that way. And that's just reality. You know that. You're smart enough to know that. And some of us are chased that as if that is faith. Maybe if I work up in myself enough and remind myself enough of what God has done and have these moments and go to these events and these things and, and run this and do this, that I'm chasing after almost a physiological response to this moment, and now I feel stronger, and now I have faith. Now I can pray for my uncle who has cancer. Now I can pray for my grandma who's dying. Now I can pray because I've just listened to this long worship set. I've just heard a great message, and now I feel stirred up, and this, certainly this must be the strength of faith. That's not faith. Those can be psychological gymnastics that we play. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for. That's what Hebrews says. So what is this that we base our faith on? We base the Christian faith on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the miracle of all time to anchor our faith to. This faith, I believe, that Jesus is talking about is not a faith that is a psychological workup, but is a faith that says, God, in the day today, I want to see where you are at work, 
where your kingdom is at work, where you need to bring redemption and grace instead of judgment and anger, that's where you're working. And anything that I ask in line with that, you will give. Anything that I ask that furthers your kingdom, you will grant. Anything that I ask that helps people move forward in seeing your kingdom come there, you will grant. Anything that I ask in faith, in alignment with the coming of your kingdom, that's what you will grant. Not anything that I ask that fulfills my kingdom is a response to my mm, big moment that I have. This is what I believe Jesus is saying, that yes, ask anything you want, but pay attention to where the kingdom is at work. Pay attention to where the Spirit moves. Pay attention to where the incarnation of Christ will come. And mercy replace judgment. Kindness replace anger. and Love replace fear. So let me summarize it this way. If I'm going to talk about the daily bread, here's my take on this. You get to have your own. Here's what I think. I want you to pray where you are today. Don't pray in your idealized self. Pray where you are today. Today. Give us today our daily bread. I want you to be courageous in your honesty. I want to encourage you to be courageous in your honesty where you are today. Here's what I'm afraid of. Here's what I can't wait for. Thirdly, this. Don't lose humility in this prayer. We are the recipients of God's kind favor. And Jesus puts it this way, give us today. Help me to be in that position of humble submission to you. And fourthly this, pray for an increased awareness of God. Meaning, how is God at work right, right in front of you, right in front of me today? Now, I don't know what you need, and I don't know what you want, but if I go back to my opening comment, sometimes we don't get what we need because we aren't honest with what we want. And what I need, and I think maybe what we need, is I need God to show up today. I need him to lead me in the decisions that I have to make. I need him to lead me in my family. I need him to lead me in my heart. I need him to lead me in my vision of what can be. I need him to lead me in humility. I need today a daily bread that keeps me walking with the Spirit of God, in line with the kingdom of God, so that anything that is asked is either confessed and changed into what God would want, or anything that is asked is granted, because it is in line with what the kingdom of God would want. That, to me, is give us today, give me today, God, my daily bread, that I might follow you, learn from you, be honest with you, and be led by you today. Today where you are, not where you want to be today. Next week, next week, we'll talk more about confession and the role that that plays. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the chance to be here this morning to revisit some of these ideas that can sometimes seem so simple and sometimes simplistic. I pray that you'd help us to be courageous where we are, not just where we want to be, Help us to be honest with both our pain and our ambition. I pray that your spirit would guide us daily where we are, in our families, in our places of employment, in work, in our future hopes, in our future dreams. That today, you would mercifully give us our daily bread for what is needed as we seek to walk alongside you 
in the establishment of your kingdom, little by little, step by step. So give us today, I pray, our daily bread. In Jesus' name we pray.